President Tsai Ing-wen on Friday said her government would continually seek opportunities for dialogue with China under the premises of equality and respect. Speaking at a Lunar New Year party for China-based Taiwanese business people, Tsai said she hoped regular cross-strait exchanges would resume. Meanwhile, President-elect Lai Qingde, who takes office in May, has also promised to continue with Tsai's line. However, these pleas will likely fall on deaf ears, as China has shown no signs of ceasing its military harassment. Every year, many China-based Taiwanese business people return to Taiwan to celebrate the coming of the new lunar year. Seeing that so many were in town, on Friday, Taiwan's semi-official negotiating agency for China, the Straits Exchange Foundation, held a gathering attended by more than 200 Taiwanese business people. It was a grand event. Aside from when they were cancelled during the COVID pandemic, President Tsai Ing-wen has attended these annual gatherings every year. This year was no exception. I know that everyone is very concerned about the development of cross-strait relations. Maintaining the status quo of peace in both the region and Taiwan Strait is not only a current international consensus, but also the responsibility of both sides of the Taiwan Strait. Under the premises of equality and dignity, we will continually and unceasingly seek possibilities of cross-strait dialogue, and we hope to gradually return to regular bilateral exchanges. For many years now, President Tsai has expressed her willingness to hold dialogue with China, but has received no response. Instead, Beijing has sent warplanes and warships in Taiwan's vicinity as a form of harassment. Reports even surfaced that some China-based Taiwanese business people had stayed away from Friday's event, owing to pressure from Chinese officials. These business-minded professionals were also cautious about taking media interviews. Ahead of his inauguration on May 20th, one Taiwanese businessman had words for President-elect Lai Qingde. During Lai Qingde's tenure as president, I hope Taiwan independence activities and Taiwanese independence rhetoric will be used as sparingly as possible to not provoke some unnecessary disputes or unnecessary actions between the two sides of the Taiwan Strait. President-elect Lai has repeatedly emphasized that he'll continue with President Tsai's fundamental line of so-called maintaining the status quo. We hope that in the future, both sides of the Taiwan Strait can shoulder their shared responsibilities for peace in the Asia-Pacific and security and stability in the Taiwan Strait, and that we can replace confrontation with negotiation. The two sides of the Taiwan Strait should not be in a life-and-death struggle. Rather, they should be in a cooperative relationship that promotes their mutual achievements. These words were not just aimed at the Taiwanese business people present, but were also aimed at Beijing to let it know that it also shares responsibility for whether cross-strait relations can progress. British Foreign Minister David Cameron was asked recently during question time in the House of Lords what measures he had in store to deter China in addition to AUKUS, the trilateral security partnership between the U.S., U.K. and Australia in the Indo-Pacific. He replied that he planned to discuss the importance of freedom of navigation with China and tell Beijing it would apply anywhere, including the Taiwan Strait. I'm going to be hopefully holding some discussions with Chinese counterparts in days to come, where I think we'll be asking them, given the importance of trade to China, that they should be as fully supportive 
of freedom of navigation as we are, because that matters wherever you are in the world, including the Taiwan Straits. Beijing is unilaterally using tactics of converting areas to inland seas to interfere with freedom of navigation in international waters, such as the Taiwan Strait or South China Sea. Its approach actually threatens the unimpeded flow of the entire world's trade. Whether it's the UK, Germany or even France, they've all successively sent warships through the Taiwan Strait in the name of freedom of navigation. Cameron's words are actually a further concrete policy declaration of these substantive actions. The Guardian has quoted sources as saying the British Foreign Office has organized for Cameron to attend the Munich Security Conference that runs from February 16th to 18th. He's expected to meet with his Chinese counterpart Wang Yi there for discussions on issues from Red Sea terrorism to the Taiwan Strait, most probably will be unavoidable. With the election of Lai Qingde of the DPP, China is increasing its diplomatic pressure on Taiwan and is encouraging Taiwanese ally Palau to server diplomatic ties. A letter from Palau President Serangal Whips Jr. to an unnamed U.S. senator has surfaced on social media. In the letter, Whips writes, The PRC has already offered to fill every hotel room in our tourism-based private sector and more if more are built. Whips says China also offered his country 20 million U.S. dollars a year in investment in a remote call center to be based in the Pacific Island nation. One DPP lawmaker thinks if China successfully lures Palau away, it will not only damage Taiwan's interests, but also those of the U.S. and Australia. In order to whittle away at Taiwan's formal allies, China is now trying to lure away Palau with economic sweeteners. A researcher with the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, an American think tank, has posted on social media a photograph of a letter written by Palau President Sir Angel Whips Jr. to an unnamed American senator. In the letter, Whips revealed that China was offering Palau sweeping economic deals, claiming Beijing said it would see to it that Palau's tourist hotels would be fully booked. Beijing also promised to invest 20 million U.S. dollars annually in a remote call center. In exchange, Palau was required to sever formal diplomatic ties with Taiwan. The Chinese Communist Party uses these tactics of big spending to buy diplomatic allies. Economically, many Chinese people are suffering now, but their leadership continues to be big spenders and spend money like water to buy diplomacy. How can the Chinese people endure this? Compacts of Free Association, or COFA, a financial aid agreement between the U.S., Palau, Micronesia, and the Marshall Islands was renewed last year. But $7 billion U.S. dollars in related funding is still struggling to find a path forward in the U.S. Congress. Whips warned that if this funding was not approved, China's strategy of offering economic inducements would succeed. The three island nations of Palau, Micronesia and the Marshall Islands stand on very important waterways that the U.S. uses to project military and national power from Hawaii to Asia. 
China's deployments in the South Pacific plunder these American strategic arteries. This doesn't only influence Taiwan's relations with Palau, but also directly affects the core interests of the US and Australia in this region. The China threat is increasing rapidly, encroaching step by step on nations in the democratic camp in the Indo-Pacific region. Chinese leader Xi Jinping is painting a picture that his country is doing all right and that everything is full steam ahead. But information is leaking out of the insular nation that China's choice to isolate itself is scaring away foreigners and hurting its economy. The proof is in the pudding, with the country receiving a bottom of the pack democracy ranking from The Economist. During his first address to the nation since the Lunar New Year, Xi Jinping claimed that China's economy is coming back. But this sentiment was given a big thumbs down by English magazine The Economist. The most recent issue of The Economist pointed out that Xi's paranoia is causing China to become isolated and insular, as China's exchanges with other countries have dried up. Immigration statistics show that compared to pre-pandemic figures, there are 62 million fewer foreigners who have entered or left China. This is a 63% decline. In 2023, Xi spent just 13 days outside of his country. An analysis by a political scientist pointed out that in his third term, Xi is emphasizing social consciousness and security, which is affecting China's current overall situation. After the pandemic ended, he's enacted a lot of very extreme policies that have, in actuality, scared away many foreign companies and foreigners in general, because their counter-espionage law basically, in essence, is tantamount to predetermining that any person who comes from a Western country is very likely to be helping their government gather intelligence. This is not a laughing matter. This law means that any time and anywhere you could be arrested by the Chinese government. So this essentially means people are putting themselves in danger. Xi Jinping's political power knows no bounds. Last year he sacked many higher-ups in the military, as many leaders were removed from their posts. Classified as a dictatorship, China's totalitarian rule has resulted in the Economist Democracy Index placing the country at 148, which is near the bottom of the global rankings. There's a night and day difference compared to Taiwan, which earned first place in Asia and sits at 10th place in the world. The Democratic Island, alongside countries like Japan, South Korea, Australia and New Zealand, earn the status of full democracy. In reality, China's internal situation is still an absolute mess. In the post-pandemic era, when countries around the world need to revitalise their economies, China is actually tightening the grip of its political authority in order to eliminate any political adversaries. A dissenting voice in their top brass just doesn't exist. According to Chen's insight, information is coming out of China that reveals its economy is in a slump and the unemployment rate is high. These issues are believed to be a result of Xi Jinping's refusal to change his self-isolating ways. To alleviate labor shortages in Taiwan, the government plans to bring in Indian migrant workers. On Friday, the Ministry of Labor announced that Taiwan and India had signed an MOU via a video conference discussing the introduction of Indian migrant workers. The MOU was signed by Taiwan's de facto ambassador in India and the head of the India Taipei Association. The MOU clearly stipulates that Taiwan will 
determine the kinds of industries it plans to open up and numbers of Indians it wants, while the Indian side will be responsible for recruitment and training. However, the finer details including required qualifications for Indian workers are still being ironed out. The Ministry of Labor says the introduction of Indian migrant laborers in the future are, at first will be carried out on a small scale in a pilot program. It debunked reports that there could be as many as 100,000 Indian workers, saying these figures should not be believed. Three years into Myanmar's military rule, the country's journalists are rebuilding newsrooms in exile and finding ways to keep sources safe, while accessing news about the conflict between the junta and the resistance movement. Democratic Voice of Burma, a news outlet that moved to Myanmar during civilian rule, had to flee the country in 2021. But today, it's still doing its job outside the country. Voice of America has the story. On the third anniversary of Myanmar's coup, the streets of the country's largest city, Yangon, are quiet, save for a military presence. Citizens are encouraged to stay inside for a silent protest. But in the country's north, a resistance movement is fighting back. The fighting has displaced millions of civilians, including journalists at Democratic Voice of Burma, or DVB. But from newsrooms outside of Myanmar, they keep reporting. Exile is not new for DVB, founded in 1992 in Norway under prior junta rule. The broadcaster moved to Myanmar during civilian rule only to have to flee again in 2021. But experience hasn't made the job easier. It's harder, in fact, uh, because we had to rebuild everything. With access to independent news restricted in Myanmar, DVB and other media now working from exile play a vital role. I think the media become a crucial countering fake news and also countering propaganda, uh, telling the truth about situation on the ground. To get news on the conflict, DVB relies on a large network of citizen journalists on the ground, without whom it says it is nearly impossible to get verified information. In Thai cities like Chiang Mai, some news outlets use exile as a shield. Frontier Myanmar's team takes on stories that are harder to cover inside the country, but nothing is guaranteed. We have all the security protocols uh, online, offline, and, and personal uh, uh, security protocols that we follow. Mementos and photographs adorn Frontier's walls, a reminder of its work's importance. And awards are also displayed at DVB, small reminders of the lives and loved ones left behind. We try not to communicate with our family member uh, inside Burma because that can be a trace. From exile, these outlets remain a key source of independent news. For VOA News in Thailand, Arash Arabasadi. During Spring Festival, families reunite and gather together. But there's a downside to this. It allows viruses to spread. New statistics from the Centers for Disease Control show that there were 6,787 emergency room visits related to flu-like illnesses in one single day, a four-year high for this holiday period.
在过年期间呢，其实呃医学中心的病人会比较多哦。那因为一般门诊的暂停。During the Lunar New Year, our medical centre actually has more patients because ordinary outpatient clinics are closed. Our actual number of patients may be up as much as 40% to 50% more than usual. Especially on day two and day three of the Lunar New Year, numbers of acute and severely ill patients increase. So, in addition to ordinary patients, staffing in intensive care units is actually very tight. In addition to flu, patients with cardiovascular disease and gastrointestinal bleeding are also on the rise. Doctors said that due to recent large temperature swings, cardiovascular disease, gastrointestinal bleeding, and other illnesses among vulnerable groups have been reported in the emergency departments. Taoyuan is now home to 240,000 pet cats and dogs, but despite the pet population increasing by 160,000 cats and dogs in just 10 years. Animal lovers have only had one option: with their furry friends are feeling under the weather, and that is expensive private vet clinics. The good news is Taoyuan is now planning to set up the city's first public veterinary clinic. The pet rearing craze of the last few years has resulted in Taiwan seeing its furry friend population steadily increase. And private veterinary hospitals are reaping the benefits by charging a pretty penny for their services. This means taking a beloved pet for a checkup is a burden to both an owner's heart and wallet. One trip to the vet costs at least three thousand NT. The cost of animal hospitals is actually still quite high. Just a single trip to the vet is probably at least one thousand to two thousand NT, and that's just for simple cold-like symptoms. Despite the high costs, most pet parents are more than willing to spend a lot at the vet. Simply put, money doesn't seem to be a concern as the number of people raising pets is increasing. In Taoyuan, there are currently 240,000 pet cats and dogs, which is 160,000 more than just 10 years ago. In an effort to create a pet-friendly city, the city government has started pet care and management courses, in addition to planning a future public veterinary hospital that will offer reasonably priced services. The hospital's mission will be serving the public good. As of right now, we've gotten funding, which we'll use to build the facilities. Priority will be given to our area's adopted cats and dogs, who'll be the primary recipients of treatment in the future. Concerning this publicly established veterinary hospital, I think that our association will be offering a lot of support, and we'll be closely collaborating with them. If there's a public animal hospital, like a place where you can get stray cats and dogs fixed free of charge, I think its prices for treating pets will be more affordable for ordinary citizens. The city government's preliminary plans for its veterinary clinic will center on providing reasonably priced treatment for adopted cats and dogs. As of right now, the clinic will not provide treatment for serious injuries or hospitalization services. Taiwan hopes that the public clinic can help increase the adoption rate of stray cats and dogs, as well as offer assistance to disadvantaged pet owners. Park Yunok from South Korea met her Taiwanese husband in France. After getting married, they moved back to his hometown of Mailiao in Yunlin County. The couple wanted to do something for the small town that was seeing its population decline. So they opened a trendy Korean restaurant out of a shipping container. 
Park makes good use of her family's recipes to try and put Mai Liao on the map. Inside this plain white shipping container is a pink wonderland. Three years ago, Park Eun-nok from Busan, South Korea, and her husband Lee Jin-ting from Yunning's Erlun opened this Korean restaurant in Mai Liao. Park makes each and every type of pengkan by hand. Since Korean people love to eat, love to eat side dishes, we want things you can leave for a while. Small dishes, a little bit salty. It's boring to eat too much of one thing, so we want lots of different dishes to have with the meal. Pickled onion, spicy bean sprouts, spicy octopus, and more. Park says there are countless types of pengkan, including everyone's favorite, kimchi. White radish, onions, chives, and the soul of kimchi, chili paste, are the secret weapons that turn cabbage into this beloved side dish. You have to coat every leaf for it to taste good. It can sit for a long time and it won't get soggy. It'll stay crunchy. The restaurant has become a pilgrimage destination for the social media crowd who flock to Mai Liao from across Taiwan for the photogenic seafood tofu pot, spaghetti and bibimbap. Whatever I want to do, she supports me wholeheartedly. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a huge dream of mine to help my hometown. I just want to bring more people to Yunli. My first couple of days here, I cried myself to sleep. Do I really want to live here? There's nothing around but farmland. But I love him, so I helped. The power of love can compel people to adapt to any plight. Changing their home through food is this couple's dream. They hope to be joined by other young people, injecting life again into their small town.